You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Take your copy of God's Word. Go to chapter 24 of Genesis. We are looking at the life of Abraham. Um, Next week, Abraham dies. Um, 25th chapter, you come to the death of Abraham. You're going to see gathered at uh, that tomb Ishmael and Isaac are going to come back together. So when I talk about the death of Abraham and probably the week after that, I'm going to do something about um, the descendants of Ishmael and the rise of Islam. So we'll just kind of look at that. That's where we're headed. But today or tonight, you come to the 24th chapter, which is one of those chapters, as I said last time, I say this about every chapter, this is such a monumental chapter in the Word of God and in the whole process of what God is doing. Um, I don't know if you saw back in um, 1999, there was a movie that came out. I don't know how far I'll get tonight, but uh, in 1999, there was a movie that came out entitled A Blast from the Past with Brendan Fraser. It was one of the first movies that he was ever in. Really, really good, cute little movie. Um, It was about a couple out in California. He was a a professor of physics at Caltech or Southern Cal. Brilliant guy. Everybody, it takes place in the early 60s. Everybody's building bomb shelters. You remember that in the early 60s? Everybody's building bomb shelters in the early... Well, this guy builds a bomb shelter to end all bomb shelters. I mean, it's like a copy of the entire house underground, under all this concrete and everything. He's got all this stuff supplied. Uh, there's a plane that crashes uh, right there at their house. They think that it is the nuclear attack coming from... An atomic attack coming from the Russians. So they go into the bomb shelter... The door, as he's devised it, closes now for the next 25 to 30 years. And uh, as they go in, the wife is expecting, she has a little baby boy uh, while they're down there, and they rear him in that bomb shelter, thinking that the world has been decimated, and they've got all these supplies for about 30 years, and you know, at 30 years of age, he's they've got to have some additional supplies, and he kind of wants to go out and... So they prepare him, and he goes out, and he finds everything was not destroyed, but the world has, you know, progressed on. 30 years, you're now into the 90s by this time, and the world is what the world is, uh, messed up. Everything is just rude and crude and um, a mess. Yeah, just a mess. But when he goes up, everybody that meets him falls in love with the guy. They all love him because he's polite and courteous and has manners and social graces, and everybody is just stunned at this. His parents, for those 30 years, had poured into his life. Uh, They never made him feel like, well, you're an inconvenience or we don't have time to bother with you. Or, you know, this is just, you know, you're just ill-timed and we're caught up with other things. They took all their time and just poured into this kid. Gave him a full education. I mean, his dad's a physicist, 
you know, teaches university level uh, physics. And uh, his mother taught him all of the great, the foxtrot and the uh, tango and uh, swing and all, you know, all of that. He was just so, he was a perfect consummate gentleman and every woman wanted to fall in love with him and every man wanted to be this guy. All because these parents had poured these values and these, uh, and this, these morals and all of this into his life. Chapter 24 of Genesis. Abraham and Sarah had poured their lives into this boy. Now they were not in a bomb shelter, they were in a tent. But they poured their lives into this kid named Isaac that they had waited. Abraham had waited a hundred years and Sarah was 90. Now you come to chapter 24. Uh, Isaac is about 40 years of age. Abraham is 140. He's got about 35 more years to live. And he has dedicated the rest of those 35 years to ensuring that this boy marries the right girl. He is that involved in the kid's life. Now that's the question for us as parents and grandparents is are we that involved in the life of our children? Are we that particular? Are we that interested? Are we that uh, diligent uh, to watch over these children of ours and who they're going to marry? Because Abraham now says that he is not going to marry one of the local girls. He's not going to marry a Canaanite. No way. And uh, I think that's where I was last time, two weeks ago, when, and I kind of ended it there. I started sharing with you why he would not let him marry a Canaanite. And I'm going to give you those, I'm, I gave you two reasons, I'm going to give you three. Number one, let me just remind you, they were people who were alienated from God. Now, it was not that God had alienated them, but they had alienated themselves from God. Uh, that is, they had... As a culture, they had basically said, we want nothing to do with the God of these Hebrews. We want nothing to do with the God of these Jews. Um, and so they alienated themselves. They just absolutely wrote it off. Now, was, were there some exceptions? Yes, there were. I, I may say something more about that in a minute. But you just need to understand, Nowhere in the Word of God will you ever find that God just cuts people indiscriminately off. This is one of the issues of election that I think a lot of people get wrong. God just doesn't cut people off. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. You say, well, you know, you come to Jacob, I love Esau. Hey, you're talking about nations there. When you get to the ninth, the 10th, and the 11th chapter of Romans, you have to understand he's speaking of nations there. He's not speaking of individuals. So um, they have cut themselves off from God. They wanted nothing to do with God. If you remember when we looked at the covenant God made with Abraham, God said, your people are going to be down there in Egypt for 400 years because I'm going to let this thing run out with the Amorites who were a part of the Canaanites. He said, I'm going to give them 400 years. Uh, you know, I used my daughter right there. I used to tell her, you get that room cleaned up and I'm going to get, now listen, 400 years, I want that room cleaned up. Now, that's pretty gracious of God, wouldn't you say? So God gives them about 400 years, you know, these folks, and he says, I'm going to do away with your culture. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, is he would not let him go to Haran, and that's where he's going to send his servant back to find a wife for Isaac because 
God had brought Abraham out of Ur, out of that moon-worshiping cult, that paganism. He'd brought him out for 65 years. He'd been working on Abraham, and he was not going to let Isaac go back to Haran, which is not all the way back to Ur, but he wasn't going to let him leave and go up there for fear that he would meet a girl and decide, I'm just going to settle here. It's easier to settle where her folks are, and that's what she wants. You know how how it is. It's easier to do that, so we're, we're just going to do that. So he wouldn't let him go back for that reason. You're not going to leave. This is the land. This is what he's pouring into him. This is the land God has given to us in covenant. So we stay here. The third reason is, is because these Canaanites were under uh, the ban, is what you'd call it in the Old Testament, B-A-N, the ban. They were under the judgment of God. God had already pronounced, there's coming a time when I'm going to pour judgment out on your culture. Now, were there exceptions? Sure there were. Caleb was an exception. He was a Canaanite. He was a Kenite. They were all Canaanites. Um, uh, Othniel, he was a Canaanite. Uh, he was a Kenite, which was a Canaanite. So there are those Canaanites who came and they did put their trust in Christ. They did, uh, in, in God. They did come and follow by faith God, the God of the Hebrews. They did believe in Jehovah. But for the culture, God said, you're going to come under judgment because you've rejected me. Now, that's what Abraham is doing. He's saying, I'm not going to let that happen to you. He's seen the judgment of God. He could stand there up on the plains of uh, 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 where he lived and look off in the distance and see the smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and he, he could see the judgment of God. And he said, that's not going to happen to Isaac. So he brings in his servant. Now, we're not told I'm calling him Eliezer um, because we're introduced to Eliezer earlier. It's, it's the most trusted servant of Abraham. We're told in this chapter it's the oldest servant that he's got. He's going to send, I think, Eliezer to go find a wife. And as Eliezer goes, there are three principles I'm going to try to pull out quickly and show you in this chapter that he follows in following God's will uh, that had been given to him by Abraham. God gave his will to Abraham. Abraham brings in Eliezer and instructs him, this is what you're doing. This is what we're looking for, uh, for Isaac. This is the kind of bride you're going to find for Isaac. Now you go back to my people and you find a bride for him, and then you bring that bride here to marry him. Now, that's a tough assignment. And so in that, you're going to see, how do you do that, and what's going on, and how do you find? There's some principles here of God's guidance. How do I get God's guidance? How do I get God's leadership? What do I do? Well, first of all, and let me put this, I guess I'm putting this in the negative, so let me put it this way. You and I have no right to expect guidance from God if we're not following the guidance God has already revealed to us. So now watch with me as I come to verse 27. It's in the middle of the chapter, but and he's talking to Rebecca. That's going to be the wife for Isaac. And as he's talking to Rebecca, he's really thanking God and he's showing her how he got there, what's going on, what this is all about. So he, he's, uh, he begins now uh, in verse 26, the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. 
And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. Now you ought to underline that part of that verse. And if you've got a King James version, I really like the way the King James translates it because it actually translates it almost directly out of the Hebrew, being in the way the Lord led me. Being in the way. In other words, I got instruction from Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and Abraham brought me in and he made me swear that this was what I was going to do. He gave me the instruction of what I was to do. I was to go back to his people, uh, back to where um, Nahor, you've got Nahor. Nahor had three sons, uh, or he had a son, Terah. Terah had three sons. He had Abraham, Nahor, he's named after his granddaddy, and Haran, which is the name of the place. So Terah has three sons. By the way, uh, Terah was a very holy man. They called him Holy Terah. And um, (laughs) so he says, I want you to go back to Nahor, go back there to my people. And so that's what he's doing. Now, this is what, um, this is what Eliezer did not do. Eliezer did not pack everything up, head out, and on his way say, hey, do you know what? Damascus is a bigger city, a lot more people there, really some pretty girls. I've seen some of the girls over there. They look really good. I'm just going, it's a lot closer. I don't have to go as far as Heron. Uh, I don't have to go all the way up to that place. I bet I can drop off over here at Damascus. I bet I can find a good-looking gal to bring back for Isaac from there. And then get to Damascus and say, now, Lord, this isn't where you sent me. This isn't what you told me to do. This wasn't the place I was supposed to go. But I'm asking you to bless what I'm doing right now. Huh? That's what we do, right? Amen. That's exactly what we do. I'm I'm not going in the way, he says, being in the way. It lays emphasis on the fact that he was following exactly what God's instruction had been. So when he gets there, he he knows I can count if I am following God's revealed will. Let me say this. If I'm following God's moral will, God gives me his moral will in his word. There's a lot that I know God tells me I should do. There's a lot that God's word tells me I shouldn't do. And if I want God's personal will for my life, then I should be living in obedience to God's revealed moral will in his book. If I am not, I really should not expect for God to reveal anything. I really shouldn't expect him to reveal his personal will for my life if I'm not being obedient to follow his revealed will already in his word. Do y'all get what I'm saying? You see where I'm going with that? Have I beat that horse sufficiently right there? Because you say, now wait a minute, preacher. Are you telling me that if there is sin, if I'm not doing everything and there's some sin in my life, that God's not going to reveal his will for my life to me, what I'm to do next? No, I can't say that emphatically, and I'll tell you why. Because God is better than I would be to you. He is full of grace, and he is full of mercy, and a lot of times God in his grace and mercy will show a sinner who has some unconfessed sin in their lives 
that has become habitual. Sometimes he will do it because he simply loves you that much. And he is that gracious and he is that good and he is that merciful. What I am saying to you is this, you should not expect it. Because uh, if you pray, if you are out of God's will, you are in sin, it's unconfessed in your life, and God, God happens to show you what he wants you to do as far as something else goes, then listen, let me tell you what that should do. It should bring you to repentance. That's the goodness of God. That's the grace of God. It should surprise you. It should be shocking that God would do it. But that's how gracious God is. But I'll tell you this, bottom line, if you're not being obedient to the revealed word of God, you should not expect God to give you his personal will for your life. Let me give you the second thing. Second thing is this. And this is stated in the negative as well. That's troubling me that I've done this, but I did it. So we need not expect guidance from God if we're not willing to wait on God. I should have said, in getting God's guidance, we need to wait on God. Let me put it that way. We need to be willing to wait on God. That's exactly what this guy did right here. So let me take you back now to the text again. He's there, and this is what he's doing. He's going to wait. Go back to verse 10. Eliezer packs up 10 camels. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master, and he set out with a variety of goods, uh, of good things for his master, uh, of his masters in his hand, and he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well uh, of water, at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Now, this is what he's going to do. He's just going to wait on God now. He's followed God as far as God told him to go. God's told him to go this far, but God hadn't revealed everything else to him. And so he gets to this place and he says, I'm here. This is where all the women come. This is the time of the day they come. So I'm out here and I get to see them all. And all I can do now is just be willing to wait on God. Not jump out ahead of him, but be willing to wait on him. And so he's there and he's waiting. And uh, he made the camels kneel down, verse 11 again, by the city well of water, evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, oh, Lord, now he's going to pray. What does he do? He's going to pray. You know, the number one dating service in the world, guess what city it's in? Paris. Where else? What, come on. Where else would it be? You know what it's called? The, the number one dating service in La Flash. Now, it's not what you think. Um, it, it describes the technology they use. Um, you go to La Flash and you sign up, and what they do is they give you a transmitter. And when you go out, when you get within so many feet of another person who has signed up with La Flash, it goes off in your pocket. And you can look around and say, boy, that girl looks good. She looks really nice. I'm going to go over and speak to her. Or if she doesn't suit you, what you do is you just turn it off and you keep going. Now, Eliezer didn't have that. He didn't have... Uh, 
He didn't have the internet so he could get on a dating service. He didn't have a, a cell phone so that he could get the nearest whatever. All he could do was just go do what he did, and he prayed. Now, this whole thing is full of prayer. Uh, before he went, he prayed. When he got there, he prayed. When he finds Rebecca, he prays. Uh, he gives thanks in the midst of all this. This whole thing, he's just constantly praying. So now he comes, and he's going to pray. He, he comes, and he says, Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, watch it what he's going to pray. He's going to ask God for a sign. Now, we've already, in some sermon that I did with you on Gideon, I, that's what it was, I talked about signs. And, uh, you know, the question is, do you ask God for a sign? Well, here you've got Eliezer, and he's going to say, God, you know, help me in this situation that I've got here. And the two things are kind of bound up. He asked for a reasonable sign, and he is looking for a specific kind of girl. Now, watch this. Verse 14, now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now, I've just got to walk you through that and explain a little bit of that to you. Because he comes and he says, God, I, I need some help right here. I need for you to let me know, what girl do I go to? Which girl do I pick? Which, which girl, you know, is the right one? Which is the one that you want me to get for Isaac? So he says, you got to give me a sign, and this is the sign. I'm going to ask her for some water. She's going to let me drink, and then she's going to offer to water my camels. Now, what he's doing is this. He's saying, God, I want a girl who's kind, who'll be kind to a stranger, somebody she's never met. I want somebody who's tenderhearted, that she will give me. And the Bible, I, I'm not, I'm going to have to wrap it up, but the Bible's going to tell you that she's going to lower the jar and she's going to pour it in her own hand. She just had some parel, so don't worry. Uh, she, she's going to pour it in her hand and she's going to let Eliezer drink the water out of her hand. So there's a tenderness. She's going to help this old servant of Abraham. And then she's going to say, let me water your camels. Now, this guy's got 10 camels. Now, listen to me. I know a little something about camels. I had a man offer me 50 for my wife um, in Jericho. And I go, I threaten to go back every now and then. Hey, I can go back. The guy's still there. He got the camels. Um, a camel has three stomachs. They'll each hold five gallons of water each. That's 15 gallons. She most likely has a three-gallon water jar, um, which means she's going to have to get 150 gallons because he's got 10 camels, three stomachs, five gallons each stomach, if they drink that much. And I would imagine they're probably going to be thirsty. At the end of the day, that's going to be 50 trips getting that water in a three. You know how heavy three gallons of water happens to be? It's pretty heavy. 50 trips. Now, somebody's worked this down to the time allotment, about 10 minutes per camel in doing that. That's about an hour and a half to two hours. Two and a half. So what 
Eliezer is going to know is this. This girl has got a work ethic. This girl is willing to do all of this for a stranger. What does that say about her, her mood swings? What does that say about her temperament? What does that say about her attitude? What does that say about her personally? It says tons about it. It says an awful lot about it. And up comes this girl. Look, she's going to come up. Let me, let me kind of move on through this quickly. The, the other thing is this, that when you, when you come to this right here, he's going to wait on the Lord to bring the right girl along, but he's also going to be willing to act when God does it. That's the third thing I would tell you is in looking for God's guidance, have you already surrendered to do God's will when God makes it known to you? So the girl shows up. Before he had finished speaking, he's praying now, verse 15. Behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl, look, she's beautiful. She's a virgin. No man had relations with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her. And he said, please, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. Uh, don't you know, buzzers were going off inside of LEs. Ding, 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 ding. This is the girl. This is the girl. Like one of those old cartoons with all the arrows and everything coming to point. This is the one. This is the one. This one. God answered my prayer. God gave me the sign. God's brought the right one here. I've waited on God. I've been obedient while in the way. You know, while, while, while in the way the Lord led me, I was following until I didn't know what to do. I prayed and asked God, show me what to do. God has answered that prayer. There's his guidance. There's his leadership. And when he shows me, I'm going to do exactly what God's told me to do. See, it's not God, um, you know, God, tell me what you, what you got on your mind. And I'll let you know what I'm thinking, you know, kind of deal. It's God. Whatever your will is, whatever you're telling me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So he does. Now, let me, let me show you this. Now, I've flown through this whole thing, but I, I want to say this before I go. The church has long seen this as something bigger and greater. Um, he's going to pull out bracelets and give her, put bracelets on her arm, give her jewelry, all of that. that well, you know, she's, she's gone at that point. Uh, when he saw the ring and the bracelets of his sister's wrists, and he heard the words of Rebecca's sister saying, this is what this man gave to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I prepared the house and a place for the camels? So he entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels. Oh, boy. You've just been introduced to a real, the last of the red-hot salesmen. You've just, you've just been, just hang on. We'll get to Laban one day. There's nobody else like Laban. <laughs> there you go. You found him right there. He unloaded the camel. That's the last time you're going to see him do anything. 
He unloads again. He thinks something good's going to come his way. He has seen now all this jewelry, this bracelets, this gold, all this stuff. Now, what's going to happen is this. They're going to go in, and he's going to tell this whole story of what Abraham has sent him to do. And he's going to ask for the girl to go back with him. In this, the church has always seen something larger. Isaac is the son of promise. He is the bridegroom who waits for the bride. Eliezer is the Holy Spirit who goes to search and to call out the bride for Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes, and what does he do? He gives us gifts. And then when the mother says and the brother says, let's slow this thing down a little, verse 55 her brother and her mother said, let, let the girl stay here with us a couple of days. Let's say just 10 days. Now, this is Laban, by the way. I, I would not believe anything Laban ever said. Um, let, 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 let them stay 10 days. And he said, don't, no. Eliezer says, no, 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 no. You can't put off this decision. Can't be put off. We have to go now to the sun. We have to go now. And they said, we'll call, verse 57, watch this. We'll call the girl and consult her wishes. And here comes the conversion of Rebekah. Watch this. And they called Rebekah and said, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And a 12-year-old boy sitting on a cot in the mountains of North Carolina, out of a red Gideon New Testament in John three sixteen, I heard in my spirit those words, Will you take this man to be your Savior? And I said, I will. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.